But I want people to be full. And as you said, we have to work. So work should be filling us instead of draining us. Because if people are full from work, then they go home and they're happy. Full things pour out. Empty things suck. Like millions of people around the world, we need to work. Some do it for the money. Others do it for the recognition. And if you're lucky, you do it because you love it. But finding purpose and passion in your work can be easier said than done. And the path to success can be unpredictable at best. Maybe you love your job. Maybe you hate it. Or maybe you're just going through the motions. But if you're looking for some inspiration, then I've got one question for you. Are you consuming your career or is it consuming you? Welcome to Consuming Careers. I think you'd agree that many of us carry baggage through our lives that often impact our work and our relationships. Hi, I'm Bruce Smith, and in this episode of Consuming Careers, we explore the career of Brandon Lee, how he came to terms with the wounds of his youth, and how he's directing that pain into building workplace cultures that produce flourishing businesses and families. So let's join my interview with Brandon. All right, welcome back to Consuming Careers, and we've already got a toast in the air with a, with a little bit of bourbon tonight. So I'm so excited to be able to spend some time with my friend Brandon Lee. Brandon, good evening. Hey, thank you for uh, having me and for coming to this. We got yeah. To... Well, let's tell me what is what is, what is this? this? What is this? Yeah. Sure. Where are we? We're uh, so we're in my backyard with my fire pit and my fire pit area. Mm. And we've got the uh, we got the lights. We yeah. Got some, some little lights. Strung up lights. Yeah. And um, no, my my son and I built this. Uh, because I wanted this type of space. Like yeah. this, for me, is the important stuff of life. When you can sit yeah. around and you have a fire in the fire pit, maybe you have a drink, maybe you smoke a cigar, but you have good life conversation. Yeah, this is a really intimate space. Um, you got, what, eight chairs here, seven or eight chairs. You know, so it's uh, daylight savings time. So I think the sun went down about two o'clock today. <laughs> it felt like it. <laughs> we, we were trying to schedule this a little bit earlier, but we're here in the dark, and it's just a uh, a beautiful evening with just the cool wind, barely moving. Uh, can hear the you know just the crickets in the background, and it uh, it's just a delightful evening. So it's it's a treat to be able to spend some time with you brandon oh, i'm excited and, uh, for the conversation yeah. thanks for having me well why don't you um just kind of briefly tell us you know a little bit a little bit about you um mm -hmm. what you're doing now kind of what is your line of work and who are your customers who do you serve and how do you serve them yeah uh well i'll start with my family because uh i always do that because it is the most important thing in my life uh, thing. The most important people. They're my favorite people. So uh, Megan and I are actually about next week. We celebrate 25 years. All right. And That's uh, fantastic. Yeah, we're hitting that stage where we've been together for half our lives. Yes. And more, um, which is exciting. And we have five kids. Okay. And they go in age from 24 to 10. And so we have four that we're Pretty, pretty back to back. We had four that were five and under. Yeah. Not gonna yep. lie, we're a little crazy. <laughs> and then, um, you know, we thought we were done, and I thought we were done, and my wife and God had other plans. And uh, okay. And uh, Zoe came along, and very intentional, very planned. Yeah. We yeah. Make sure we're very clear. No, she's not an accident. Um, and uh, she's awesome. 
yeah, you know, rounds great. out. Our life wouldn't be the same without her. You know, our family wouldn't be the same. Well, there's a lot to be said for, you know, uh, family as relates to work, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, peace at home, I think, is is an, an incredible advantage oh, in yeah. the workplace. So uh, walk us through what you're doing now. So I am a co-founder of Fist Bump. Okay. And I'm also a founder of Funnel Amplified, two technology companies. Uh, both of them play in the social and content space. Okay. So fist bump is fist bumps are really exciting. I think I'm like I have I'm I'm like a little giddy schoolboy right now. <laughs> so fist bump is um, we have created what we call twinny, which is the ability to twin your brain. Okay using AI. So we're integrated with ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. And the idea is with AI, everyone got really excited with ChatGPT, but then you go in, you're like, okay, write an email for me. It's this. And people go, oh, it's too generic. Yeah. And then you got a lot of people out there, well, it's all about the prompts, which is true. It's about mm-hmm. the prompts, but it's also about what you feed it, what you tell it to, yeah. to um, train the model. To, is the term they use there, finely tune the model. So what we built for teams and for individuals is a tool that the company can, can uh, add their content. They could load PDFs, uh, PowerPoints, Word documents, URLs, yeah. and it just scrapes, 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 done, you know, and then you can tell it how you want it to think about your company. You can tell it your tone. You can tell it your style. You can tell it who your ideal customers are. You can even put in words. Like these are common words and phrases that we use. You really twin your brain. So it's helping with content creation. Content creation. And what else? Um, Well, right now it's all around content creation. Okay. But um, what we're doing, I think, is really different than most people. Most AI right now is task-oriented, right? So there's email companies that go, okay, we've added AI. There's graphic companies, we've added AI. What we want to do with this is I want to provide a twin brain for people that they can take with them throughout life so that they don't have to keep recreating it. It's something that once they have this built... They can then, as I say, take it with them so we can integrate with their email system. They could integrate with their new job. They can integrate with anything else that they're doing, whether it's creating graphics, it's writing letters, it's uh, creating call scripts. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I've, you know, everything you know about me, I need to sit down and have a conversation with my child about XYZ. Can you help build an outline for me? So it's really leveraging technology not to replace the human but to help humans be more efficient. And what I have found through content marketing with all these years and sales all these years, the hardest part is starting. Yeah. It's always easier to edit than to create. Yep. And so we're creating a twin brain so that you can then edit, but let the brain do, do kind of the heavy lifting for you. That's great. That's great. Yep. And I suspect if we have the same content uh, conversation a year from now, hmm. We'll have learned so much more. I mean, we're on warp speed with AI, right? We you are know, on warp speed with so AI. So much learning, so many new applications for it. You know, I'm trying to figure out how to use it at work, and 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 I get to a point sometimes. You're talking about prompts. You're talking about you know emails and whatever sales content, and I just kind of sometimes just throw up my hands because yeah. I'm trying to figure out how it works, and I haven't figured out how to get it into my normal. Uh, workflow. Mm-hmm. Um, just not there yet. I'm sure the, that'll come, tools will come, 
Um, but we're all trying to kind of catch coming. it. Twenties coming. I love it. Okay. Well, we'll get back to that and and, yeah. and make sure we talk about that at the end. So I want sure. to make sure people can connect with you if they want to connect on on that or any other topic we kind of cover. So let's um, let's just back up to the beginning because I know uh, you've got a full story. So this could be two or three podcasts. I'm sure that could go two or three different directions. Um, based on where we start and what path we want to kind of go in your journey. Mm-hmm. But you've got a very formative early childhood, and I know you had a choice uh, on how you reacted and responded to that for the rest of your life, right? So let's start there. Grew up in California, mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to let you fill in the rest because. We've only known each other a few years. We didn't grow up together. So, That's right. Uh, jump in there. Yeah, so I grew up in uh, Chino, California, uh, about 40 miles east of Los Angeles. Um, Chino was a great place to grow up in the 70s and 80s. I mean, yeah. it was one of those idyllics. I mean, we had cows and wow, we didn't own cows, but Chino was known for dairies and cows. And it was one of those. I mean, it was what we talk about with the 80s a lot. It's, yeah. you know, we would do that get on our bikes in the morning in the summer oh, yeah. and as long as we were home by by the time the street lights went on and yeah, we usually we'd find great. somewhere to eat someone's house would someone's mom would feed us at some point and uh, we just took off we rode our bikes we'd go for miles we'd dig holes we play in you know fields um yeah and you know my my life from from the outside looking in looked probably really nice i mean we're very solid middle class you know working working families my both my parents worked um very just solid middle class and Um, you had a lot of jobs uh in your uh, early teens and yeah uh, like paper routes paper route yeah. Well, you didn't shovel snow. See, I, I grew up in Maine. I shoveled, I shoveled snow. asphalt. I shoveled asphalt. In the, in the Southern California heat. <laughs> I'll take mm. the snow any day. Yeah. <laughs> and you had a chocolate company. Tell me just well, a little bit about the chocolate company. Yeah, it was calling it a company is probably pushing it a little too far. But um, yeah, so my friend Mark, uh, Mark Sewell, he's my best friend growing up. He's a great guy. Um, his mom owned a bakery and she had chocolate making stuff and i think one day we were probably just bugging her yeah and she's like you know what here's the molds here's some chocolate go make go make candy yeah get out of my hair get out of my hair right (laughs) and so we made like lollipops with different sizes and different types of chocolate and you know she probably thought we were just going to make a few and eat them and that was the end of it well we made a few and i'm like let's go sell them sure and so we went door to door and we started selling them Fantastic. And uh, then we went back and we made more. And uh, it caught up to us. I mean, Jeannie Sewell, she taught me about COGS, mm-hmm. cost of goods sold, yes. because uh, in fifth grade, I think it was, I had no concept about the cost <laughs> of materials. And um, finally, I think one day she, she called my mom and she's like, hey, like, what are the boys doing? And we got in trouble. But she also use it as a learning lesson yeah and yeah. um because we had a hundred percent profit <laughs> of course she did <laughs> you know because of her expenses you know her, out of right. her bakery and uh but she, she you know she taught us that hey you know you gotta you gotta pay for the materials and then you build a price based on the cost of materials the time you put in 
and all that. And so um, we, we realized we had to raise our price a lot more yeah. and not as many people bought and it, it kind of fizzled out, but it was a great learning experience. And that was way before the FDA uh, stepped in. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Her kitchen you was clean. Some, you her cut ki- some corners. Her kitchen was clean. <laughs> Under yeah. the radar. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So back to kind of your raising your uh, childhood. Yeah. So, um, you know, I know we're going to talk about it. I, I was very entrepreneurial as a yeah. kid. Um, I think it's the way God made me. I think it was the way I'm designed and built. Um, coordinating soccer tournaments with my friends in the neighborhood in the summer. Um you know, rallying the kids to do the different things. Like, you know, one day I, w- I just came up with this idea. I'm like, hey, let's play bike tag. And they're like, what's bike tag? And I was like, well, it's where we ride our bikes all around town. And instead of tagging somebody, which is dangerous, you have to pass them. And if you pass them, then they're it. And we, you know, we had like a two mile block square. I'm like, you can't leave that. So um, I had a lot of fun in a lot of ways. And, um, but, what went on behind closed doors in our home wasn't so good. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was very chaotic. Um, it was very inconsistent. Mm. Um, my dad drank a lot mm. and was mm. abusive. And um, it it created almost two people in me. There was somebody I was when I was away from home. And then there was somebody I was when I was home, and that what that person was always scared. So what? How old are you at this time? So when did maybe when do you remember that starting until maybe you left for college? What, what yeah, was, yeah, I what mean was it, it was my whole. I mean I remember some things from four, five, six years old that yeah. were things that a four, five, six year old should never experience or see. Sure. Um, all the way up through, yeah, leaving for college. Okay. And um, we can we can jump back to that a little later, but so off to Claremont McKenna, yes, right. The what were they the Spartas? No, or, we we were the Stags. The Stags, yeah, the Claremont stags. stags. Okay, yeah, and you know that was an interesting thing. I had I had no direction. Um, you know, neither of my parents went to college. Yeah, and to to their credit, they said you're going to college. Yeah, um, but that was about all the direction I had. Okay. I I didn't know to even ask for direction. I mean, I had some great people in high school. Like I had a soccer coach that I thought was the greatest guy in the world. Yeah. And um, if he if he had told me what happened, that he was leaving our school to go coach at a college, I would have gone there just to go be near him. He was right. a great dad figure for me, but yeah. he didn't tell me because he wanted me to make my own decision. But he also didn't know what else was going on behind the scenes of my family? Like yeah, I just sure. had no direction. So um, really Claremont was the best school I got accepted to. Okay. But it was 15 minutes from home and yeah. I had no desire to go there. And, um, but it was a really good school. I got to play soccer there. Um, but the reason I chose it is I wanted to go, my, I don't know why I had this fascination with Seattle and Denver. Okay. Don't even know exactly where it came from. Trees, kind of like the environment we're in now. Trees, yeah. outdoor, seasons. You know, in Southern California, we don't have seasons. And <laughs> I was fascinated with those. And uh, I had some scholarship offers to go to Seattle Pacific and play soccer. Um, but it wasn't a full ride. And my mom basically said, um, 
you know, you can go to Claremont, you can go to Azusa Pacific, which was like 25 minutes from home. And I can go to Cal State Fullerton and we'll pay for it. Yeah. But if you go anywhere else, you're on your own. And I didn't, I just didn't have it in me. I didn't know that I could have said, well, I'll go figure it out. Yeah, sure. You know, I, I could have gone a couple different places. I was a kicker. I had a few people talking to me about that. Um, but I had no direction. I had no encouragement to even right. think beyond. Right. No mentor. No. no. And, yeah. you know, and, you know, I get it. My mom wanted me close, but it wasn't necessarily the best decision for me. It was the best decision for her. Did you have any siblings? I had an older brother yeah. and he went to Azusa Pacific. Okay. Um, so I wasn't going to go there yep. and nothing against him. I just, I didn't want to be a younger brother anymore. Yeah. Got it. You know, you're charting your own course. Right. Okay. So, uh, Claremont, McKenna, mm -hmm. and then Texas State. Yeah. So first in between, I had a couple of job offers after Claremont okay. and I had no direction again. What did I want to do? And one of them was in a call center and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And I had a friend who worked in the marketing department at Vail Ski Resort and he said, Hey, I can get you, I can get you a job at Vail. <laughs> Wait a minute. Call center or Vail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he said, I, I think I can get you a job in, in our department. And I said, oh, he goes, but you got to be there. I can't, you, you, we don't, you know, we're not going to hire you and then, you know, wait for you to move in. You, you actually like have to be there. I said, okay. So um, I had this job offer. I told him I was thinking about it. In the meantime, I booked a hotel room in... Um, what is that? Summit. Uh, I forget. Anyway, it's up in the mountains. Of Colorado. In Colorado. Yeah. I booked a hotel for a week. My parents had a timeshare, and then they didn't use it for a lot of years. They had all these weeks booked up. Yeah. I was able to get like a holiday in for a week for free. Nice. And I packed up everything I could fit in my car. And I said, I've got a week to find a job and a place to live, and I'll stay. Mm -hmm. And if not, I'll come home and I'll take that job. Okay. All or nothing. All or nothing. Burning the ships. Well, I not it. really. I had okay. something to fall back That's to. That's right. Okay. <laughs> and so um, I took off. And, and it's funny. I was just talking to our oldest daughter about it tonight, actually, because she's finished college. She's got a job. And, and she's been thinking about wanting to move to Tampa and stuff like that. And she's like, Oh, I just, I don't know. It's kind of scary. Is that the right thing? I said, well, let me tell you what happened to me. And when I left, it was, I remember pulling out of the driveway and it was the most freeing, like I was escaping. Yeah. And it was the scariest thing all at the same time. And I told that her, is. man, I bawled and I laughed and I hoot and hollered and I bawled. And I probably did that for the first like three or four hours of that drive. That is awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, but it was a very defining moment. And I got, I got to Colorado. I got my hotel and did all that. Called my buddy. And um, I'm like, okay, I've got to, I got to find a job and a place to live. And before the week was over, I had two job offers. I had two different uh, offers to rent a room. Yeah. And I said, all right, I'm staying. We'll just see see how it goes and that was Colorado for a year the only reason I didn't stay longer is because I, I met a lot of people there in Vail yep. that had master's degrees and 
PhDs and they went there for a year to relax and never left. And I thought, if I don't leave, I'm never leaving. And so then I I went to graduate school and that's when I went to Texas State down in Austin. Well, I love the um, self-imposed urgency. You know, it's like, we're going and you've got, you've got a short fuse to make something happen. I love that. Yeah. That's just, uh, I don't think there's a better motivator for action than, you know, yeah. You've got to do something and you can count the hours that you've got to make, make that call. So yeah, that's fantastic. And it, and it kind of became a, a, um, consistent thing in my life. When I, when I moved to Texas, I was like, I, I didn't know anyone in Texas. I'd never been to Texas. I hadn't even visited the school, Yeah, but it yeah. was a, the right program I wanted. And they offered me in-state tuition as a TA and it, I could afford it. My options were San Diego state, which I didn't want to go back to California, mm-hmm. Texas State or Syracuse. And I didn't yep. want to go freeze my butt off in Syracuse. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. And I packed up my car and I was driving down there going, what am I doing? That um, really brings an incredible amount of focus, right? You know, there, there isn't a whole lot of noise in your, in your mind when you make that kind of decision. Like we're, we're, we're going 100 miles an hour at this goal mm-hmm. and either we succeed Look, there might be a fallback position, but it's going to be painful, yeah. right? So, I, and, and I also think it takes a certain kind of personality to embrace that. And not everybody lives quite the, that level of abandonment, I think. Yeah, and I think as much as I want to say, hey, I was strong and it was abandonment and it was, it was also a... I would say it was it was a bit of a manifestation of my brokenness that I had to do big things to prove I wasn't a piece of crap. Can I yeah. cuss on your show? You can. I'll okay. just have to edit it out. Oh, okay, <laughs> I won't then. But that was that was the you know when I look back on it as I got older and started dealing with some of my my childhood stuff. Yeah. Um, I had to strive and succeed and be different. And I needed a bit of that. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're doing that. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I didn't realize it at the time, but when I look back on it, that was important to me because, um, I did feel so broken and wrong and yeah. like I didn't belong anywhere. And that was the way I was going to try and belong. So I did, you know, and I, I did it again when I finished grad school. I wanted to be fluent in Spanish. Okay. And so I went to Mexico for a six-week language course. Again, I, I had a job offer and I said, well, I was going to six weeks. I said, great, fine, you're going to learn a language. We'll wait. And then when I was down there, um, I met the owner of the institute that I was studying at and I lived with the family who didn't speak English it was like this total immersive thing and um, he took me to a soccer game no one else wanted to go so it was just he and I we got to know each other and he said you know I need somebody to teach English to my Spanish teachers would you want to stay and I said well you going to pay me he's like well I can't pay you much but yeah and I'll give you free Spanish classes I said all right and so I ended up staying nine months (laughs) That's great. And became fluent in Spanish and did some traveling. And I mean, I was in a small, like small, awesome 
town. Yeah. Like it's called Guanajuato, Mexico. If anyone's listening, you've never you. It's like it's like a little bit of Spain in the mountains of Mexico. Oh wow! It's yeah, it's amazing. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, but but I kind of had this. I look back on it now and I, I see all this stuff and it was great. It was cool. I had great experiences. Um, but what was driving me wasn't the right thing. Yeah. Well, look, uh, what, what were you, 22, 23 at the time? Still, I mean, you know, your brain is still kind of mush, right? You're just kind of going on emotion and adrenaline and, <laughs> and testosterone. Enough. So, you know, we can intellectualize this stuff from yeah. here, but uh, I, I, I hear you. Yeah. Hear you. And I did, I did have a sense though. And, and I don't even remember where I heard it, but I remember someone saying, you know, it, there's a certain point in your life where a lot of options go away. Yeah. You know, you get married, you have a mortgage, you have this, you have that, those things go away. And you know, I, I've always had an adventurous spirit, though. I mean, I was very, very fortunate at 10 years old to go to Europe and play soccer. That's which, amazing. In 1980, nobody even knew what soccer was, <laughs> I right? I was in Ohio, and right. I'm like, what is what is yeah. soccer? We, only like the, the, the German families that came over because their dad got a job. It's like, they're the only ones who know anything about it. Right? And that's how we <laughs> learned about soccer. Well, we learned, I've, my brother learned about soccer from school, I think, and we, we played AYSO. But yeah. then... We, we met another family, and, and the dad was German. And, yeah. we, you know, he's like, we should take the boys to, to play in here. And we went and we played in tournaments in Germany and Sweden and Switzerland and Denmark. And, you know, it was, it was a totally different time. But some of those experiences have been a big, big influence in shaping me. Yeah. So at 10 years old, we fly to Europe to play soccer. And we're staying with host families. And I'm looking at, like... Our Zoe's 10 years old. And I'm yeah. thinking, I would go off with these families who I never met, yeah. who didn't speak English. Right, right. And I'd go stay at their house for three, four, five nights while we're in country playing tournaments. Yeah. And I, you just did it because that's what was in front of us. That's right. So uh, let's, let's move forward a little bit in your career. So out of college, first job kind of what did that look like because you didn't start off as an entrepreneur Mm -mm. so what were some of those first experiences so i had a i had a job in sales my first job out of grad school um again i I took a very different path i went to grad school thinking i was going to do management consulting work i wanted to go work for like a bcg or something and i spoke spanish and maybe i could go in south america and spend my career there well in in college, in grad school, <laughs> I, I met this guy, in, and I started working for him. He was a Pakistani guy whose family owned a, a plant in Pakistan, and he he had hand stitched soccer balls. Okay. And he said, I, "I need someone that knows American soccer," and so I put myself through grad school selling soccer balls for this guy. They were great soccer balls, but nobody knew the brand. And he he would put me on a plane and send me to. Seattle to Denver to Kentucky to wherever and I do these youth soccer conventions and I'd sell soccer balls in bulk to youth clubs and because of that I met all these people in the sports industry yeah so through that I got offered this job and it was in sales it was back in California and um, we the company was called Aminko and they did lapel pins and dog chains and like all the branded 
trinkets and trash type of stuff. Okay. And I was a sales guy, but I I didn't I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And they just said like, here's your territory, here's your database, like the old days. Here's your desk. Here's a phone. That's Pick right. up the phone and phone book. Yeah, yeah. And I just started calling people and like, hey, this is what we do. I'm, I'm going to be in town next week. Can I come see you? And my clients were like all the professional sports teams and the major colleges yeah. and even some retailers. And we, cre- we helped create these. My goal was to sell product, but the way that we did it was by creating these marketing campaigns for them. So, okay. you know, things like in stadium, you know, they give away things in the stadium. So it's like lapel pin night and they've got eight yeah, lapel sure. pins and there yeah. was a case. And if you go to those eight games and you get the eight lapel pins, you got the thing and, and all that. Yeah, that's great. And yeah. so I put those together and, um, traveled Monday through Thursday. I lived in Newport beach with a buddy of mine right on the beach. Like it was, <laughs> it, it was a really, yeah, it was a really great that's thing, but good. I traveled a lot yeah. and, um, but I went sideways with my boss and, um, and it had a lot to do with just the junk that I carried. Okay. And, um, I kind of walked myself out of that job and then, um, I looked up and I'm like, well, what am I going to do? And I, I met these two guys and they were starting a, a startup and I'm like, I'm in. And so yeah. I went right into my first startup. And what, which one was that? What was that called? When we started, it was called Animal Avenue. Okay. And um, it was basically like Chewy. Yeah. But we started it in 1997. Okay. So, <laughs> so we failed so th- miserably. <laughs> so they haven't, hadn't invented the internet yet, but you were an online business. No, no, no. no. So we had <laughs> okay. the internet. And okay. Yeah. And we, we, we put an entire pet store online. I mean, remember the pets.com and the yeah, sock puck, but absolutely. yeah, they were much bigger than we were. They got a lot more funding than we were, but they ended up the same way we did. We yeah. all failed. Yeah. And, um, but what we did, which I thought was really smart was, um, we went and started talking to pet owners. Okay. I'm sorry, to veterinarians. Yep. And we, we said, how can we partner with you? And what came out of it was we created Healthy Pet Magazine. Okay. And the veterinarians, they lived off of sending out their reminder notices. Remember back in the postcard yep. days? Sure. They would send out these postcards and say, hey, Bruce, it's Sparky's due for a shot. Call us to schedule an appointment. And their revenue just kind of went up and down based on that. And it was a it was a challenge for them because it, it was a task that nobody wanted to do, but it was also the lifeblood of their revenue. And okay. so we looked at that and said, well, what if we create a magazine called Healthy Pet, and then we'll we'll take your reminder information, your data, and we'll print it on a postcard and stick it on top of the magazine, on like glue it to the magazine, and then we mail them the magazine. They'll see your reminder notice, but in the magazine, they'll have ads to go to animalavenue.com and purchase Good. your purchase yeah. your product. Um, it didn't work with Animal Avenue, but what did work was the magazine reminder program. Interesting. And, you know, the entrepreneur, like we, honestly, I don't think we knew what we were doing, but I was tasked. I was the junior guy and they were like, um, we need to go find writers. Okay. So we started finding writers. Yeah. And we, we got to put together a magazine. 
We figured out how to put together a magazine. And we got to find printers. So I called printers. Hey, this is what we're doing. We know what we're doing. We need help. And then this is when I got into technology, too, because we, we were teaching people then how to log into AOL, <laughs> export their reminder data, and then email it to us in a file. Wow. And a lot of them would be like, ah, yeah, we don't get it. We're just going to FedEx it to you. So they were FedExing <laughs> three and a half inch floppies. And we had to, um, you know, hire like high school kids that would come out after school. And we did data entry and we got all the, you know, the database information in there. But we created a program where we were, um, we, we ended up, I went out and learned how to partner with all these tech companies. And there were a lot of like mom and pop tech companies that built the software and sold it to veterinary clinics within like a 50 mile radius of their home. Okay. And, you know, we built like a $2 million company. That's great. And a publicly traded company came along and wanted to buy it. And I didn't really have a say. I owned such a small portion of the business. Um, but we sold it. And then we worked for a big company. Mm-hmm. And long, long story. So you stayed on. I yep. stayed on. We all stayed on. Um, and next thing you know, I'm the president of this company. Wow. Reporting directly to a CEO of a publicly traded company. And uh, again, had no idea what I'm doing. How big is this company? We were about $2 million. $2 million publicly traded. Okay. No, no, no. They were a public. We were a, a subsidiary of this publicly okay. traded company. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm running this $2 million business for him. Okay, and then they it. had several other businesses and things yeah. going on. But I got to watch the C-suite from this company and realized I have no idea what I'm doing. So did that, um, did that energize you or did that just overwhelm you? Like, I need to find my, my people, my home, someplace where I I'm more, can be more competitive. You know... Um, I don't know if I thought about it enough like that, but I was so intimidated that um, I just, it was a combination. I had an idea for another company that I wanted to go do, which I I eventually did. But I also was so intimidated. I didn't feel like I belonged. And that was kind of a recurring theme in my life that I never really knew where I belonged. And so I just went and did my own thing. And like go to Mexico for nine months, go to, yeah. you know, it, it just seemed like the right thing for me to do. So I did it and I didn't have any other voices in my life telling me differently. So I had an opportunity then, and I look back on that and go, man, I had a really good opportunity to learn from some really smart sure. people sure. in a solid company and grow within the company. But I was too intimidated. I, I didn't even know how to ask for help. Yeah. Um, and, and part of it too was, you know, growing up in the eighties and nineties, we, you know, fake it till you make it was a big thing. That's right. That's right. That's right. You didn't show weakness. You had to be like, I know what I'm doing. And I knew I didn't know what I was doing. And it takes, look, it takes a lot of professional maturity to ask for help. Right. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have that. (laughs) So you were looking for an escape for a way out. And it was, it was both. I mean, I had an idea for a new company that I wanted to do based on what we learned at Healthy Pet. I mean, I love the magazine idea. And this is in like 99 and 2000 when like 
the Learning Channel was coming and like yeah. the house flipping shows were coming. The what was that show? Um, Trading Spaces. Yeah, sure. It was a big thing. Yeah. And so I'm looking at that going, well, what if we did, instead of a pet magazine, what if we did a home and decor magazine and we sold it to realtors okay, and lawyers and chiropractors? Because, you know, I, I literally, I saw my wife had magazines and stacks of them on the end tables in our living room. And if I ever went to go throw one out, I would get in trouble. And I'm like, but this is like nine months old. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and she'd be like, but there was, you know, there's like a dog-eared spot of a page. That's it goes, right. you know, Where's I it? like this bed and, and I like this bed cover and, you know, all these things. And I'm like, that is the marketer in me. I'm like, that is some longevity in our house. And I thought, well, what if that magazine was sent to them by a realtor or by a chiropractor or by, because then it, because most direct mail then, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. comes in your mailbox and you go junk, 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 right. bill, junk, junk. Right. We threw stuff away. Sure. So we it, still do. We still do. Absolutely. But the magazine, it was a gift, not a direct mail piece. And so that's what we did. And so part of it was I was scared. Yeah. I didn't feel like I belonged. They were, they were like real people. Sure. Sure. Right. Publicly traded company. Yeah. Big houses in L.A. So this is something that you could, you could control, right? You could own, control, and I don't know. I don't want to say. Well, what comes to mind is you know you can be the smartest guy in the room. Right? Yes, I could do things my way. Right, right. Which you know, as we know, you know, has its benefits and it has its pitfalls, right? Right, and, and blind spots. Okay. So is this, um, what was it called? Design Publication? By Design Publishing. By, by Design Publishing. Yep. Okay. So you launched that. I launched that. 20, uh, 2000? Year 2000? 2001. Okay. All right. How did that go? Um, it went well. I mean, it was a very successful company. Um, did you find it yourself? Did you get some money from the outside? What? You know, we, <laughs> my wife and I took a, a line of credit on our home. Okay. So married. Okay. We're married. Yep. We had a, this was one. So we were married. When were we married? We were married in 98. 98. So yep. three years into your marriage. So it, here, here's this again, where we met in November of 97. Yep. We got married one year and one week later in 98, okay. November 15th. Yep. And then a year and one week later on November 24th, Maddie was born. Yep. Uh, November 24th of 99. 99. And then you decide to quit your job job and start a company. Yeah. And mortgage your house. And mortgage your house. Okay. So yeah. a little bit of stress. So and. In the Lee household. Well, and <laughs> and we already had Kate by then. Yeah. And Megan was six months pregnant with Abby. And we packed up and moved to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. With. Yeah. We had I can a, tell already you, you, uh, you married way above your pay grade, I my know. friend. I know. I don't think she realized what she was getting into. But um, so we, we took out a $150,000 line of credit on our home. And we raised, I believe we raised about one hundred seventy-five from friends and family. Okay. We rented a house in Coeur d'Alene. Yeah. We moved up to Coeur d'Alene. We get there. It was over. Um, no, I'm sorry. Coeur d'Alene. Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. 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 Yeah, Idaho. Beautiful place. It was... Labor Day weekend, we get moved into this rental house, basement for my office, 
Tuesday morning, I wake up at like 4.30 in the morning because at 5 a.m. I could start calling the East Coast, 8 a.m. And I got down in the basement and I went, what in the world am I doing? Like, we have two kids. She's six months pregnant. We moved into a city. We know nobody. And I got this dream and I went, pick up the phone. Like, you've yeah. got to make this work. Yeah. And so I started picking up the phone, and I just called and called and called and called and called. And we, you know, nine months later, Abby was born. Um, we were doing, we did over a million dollars in revenue. I yes. had five people on the team. And we just kept going. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we, we, were, we were doing... A lot of millions in five years and somebody wanted to buy it and I didn't have the wherewithal. I, I didn't I didn't realize yet how much I needed a coach and people in my life. I was still yeah. still scared of what anyone was gonna say. And so I just kinda did what I thought was best and we sold it. And we made a lot of money, but I sold my team. I lost mm-hmm. like everything we built. And I had, I loved my culture and my team and I just didn't think it through. Okay. So, um, but you did. So, because you made a decision to sell it. I did. So what was that, um, kind of what, what was that process? Was it, Hey, you know, we could really cash out. This could be, this could be our, you know, our retirement mm-hmm. or, uh, maybe you were just overwhelmed with, I've had enough of this 24 by seven work life mm-hmm. or just too much stress at home. Like what was going through your head when you made that decision? You know, honestly, I don't, I don't think I thought it through very well at all. It, it was more like, I guess is the, the next thing I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Like people build companies and sell them. Okay. So I was like, Okay, because, you know, we built Healthy Pet and someone came along and wanted to buy it and we sold it. Mm-hmm. So now I'm doing it on my own and somebody wants to buy it. And I did say no to him a couple times. And then um, the number got up to a point and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like life-changing money. Sure. Um, I think that was it. To be, I, I, didn't, I didn't think through it well enough, but the money was enticing. And it felt like what I was supposed to do. And and yeah. I'm at this point, I realize I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a starter. Like, okay, well, we'll sell it and go start another one. So you didn't have a vision of okay uh, of being that CEO that you know, kind of in that big publicly traded company um, for a long time, Mm-mm. kind of managing subsidiaries. That no, wasn't your. That's thing. still, and I knew that wasn't me. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, that company, we could have grown it more. And it probably could have been a company I kept forever. Yeah. It never, it, you know, it was never going to be a billion dollar company yeah. um, that I know of. But um, I, I, I hate to say, you know, I wish, but in hindsight, you know, I kind of wish I would have kept it and, and grew out of that company because I had, I had income. Yeah. I had revenue. I had people that I, I trusted. I, I had systems that worked. Right, um, right. I could have kept creating new products or services or companies oh, out of it. Yeah. Um, and in hindsight, that's what I wish I would have done. 
Well, you know, you don't know, right? No. So, um, hey, you know, the recession hit. Sure. Right after I sold, um, the month that they owned it, the first month they owned it was the first month it didn't grow. Wow. And it went from, you know, a lot to not a lot. Yeah. And it was a bad purchase for them because of timing. So, uh, you sold the company. Mm-hmm. What, what was the next chapter? Um, the next chapter is where life imploded. Okay. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Um, I think it was a com- it was a combination of a couple of situations that I, I, I'm not going to detail. But it was also, I look back in, in through reading books and therapy and things, um, I was able to breathe. Right? I was able to just go, we had plenty of money. I didn't own a company. I looked up and said, okay, well, Lord, what should I do with the rest of my life? And it was like my my subconscious said, oh, we've got time now. So let's just go pull all this stuff up that we shoved away for all those years in childhood and bring it up. Hmm. And I started dealing with all this fear. And it was, it was like I was that scared five-year-old, except I was 38 years old, married with four kids. So how did that play out? It was ugly. Yeah. And once we sold the companies, we're like, what are we doing? Um, so we moved back to California to be near family. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife's mom. And um, I thought, okay, this is good. Let's, let's get back. Let's be near family. Let's let our kids have family. And, um, yeah, it was ugly. Um, when there's, there's a book that helped make a lot of sense for me. It's called the body knows the score. The body keeps the score. Okay. The body knows the score. Now I forget. Okay. Um, but it says basically what I went through was pretty textbook, um, shoved everything down and, fought through life and for me it became entrepreneurial success but once I was able to just take a breath and and I didn't have anything on my plate I didn't have a business to grow I didn't have people to manage I didn't I had plenty of money in the bank and I was kind of like okay cool we get to raise our kids and what are we going to do and you know maybe I'll be a consultant or whatever and it was like all of this came up and it was the emotion of my of who I was as a child just burst to the surface I couldn't sleep I couldn't think everything scared me Mm. and I didn't know what to do because it wasn't who I was before so that's um, maybe you can comment on this so that's a that's an interesting dichotomy because you know, I believe, and I think you'd agree, that we were we were made, we were created to work, like that's, and to we were created to create and to yeah. flourish, and and to build and to grow things, right? Mm-hmm. And I would um, I would say that that was almost a distraction for you while you were flourishing at work and work and creativity. It was masking um, a lot of what was going on deep inside, which 
is not a healthy force, not a healthy balance. Right. So how would you, if you had to do it again, <laughs> how would you address that? How would you balance balance that if there's if there's a way to balance that? I mean, because yeah. a lot of that's out of your control, right? So you've got to... Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it, it's timely. Um, when I sold the company, I sold it to a private equity group out of New York, but they put it into... Uh, one of their portfolio companies that was based here in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Wow. And we were in Idaho. Yep. So um, I have a client who has an office in Lawrenceville that's like two doors down from the building of the company that bought my company. And I just drove past there yesterday and I looked at the building and I thought, God, I wish I could go talk to Brandon who walked into that building the first time after he sold it mm-hmm. and tell him you you gotta you gotta work on the the brain you yeah. gotta work on the thinking yeah. because um yeah I just you know in in giving myself grace I just didn't I didn't know yeah to work on it I didn't think about working on it even when I went in therapy um when I was 24, 25, like, I'm like, oh, I got to go work on stuff. And after six months, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I got it. Listen, would you, would you have listened to yourself? Mm-mm. Of course not. So, well, that's, that's what I was laughing at. Cause you know, I'm having this conversation yeah. in my head going, gosh, right. I wish like, how would I be able to have convinced myself back then to listen to myself now? No. And, yeah. You just have to kind of walk through it. You, but it's a fun fantasy. It is. It is. <laughs> Everything would have been just so much more. But you know, generals aren't made, you know, in the office, right. and you know they're made on the battlefield, mm-hmm. right? So, um, if it if it wasn't for that experience, um, you know you wouldn't be the man you are today, no. right? You wouldn't be the father, you wouldn't be the entrepreneur, you wouldn't be the the leader that you are today, right? My only my only regret, if I do, is um, I wish I could have worked through it faster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, we're not condoning any of that, right? So, right. but that's that's the way life is yeah and how we how we engage it how we relate to it that's that's where life happens yeah and and you know and even now like my my coach now he's he's got me on a focus right now he's like man brother you you need to figure out still how to how to love yourself yeah yeah and and he's got me doing those. I feel like Stuart Smalley. Remember him from Saturday Night Live? Yeah. <laughs> and and I was telling my wife about it, and she kind of she looked at me. She goes, "Well, it's about time." You yeah, know, she's yeah. like, you know, I. She loves me for who I am. She's loved me through lots of money. She's loved me through losing money, and she's steady. And yeah, and yeah. I think her her greatest wish, and I'm getting there. Like, praise God, I'm getting there. It's just, it's taken me a while. It's just to be good with myself and to appreciate myself. And you know what? I'm a good husband. Yeah. I've been a good husband because I I saw what a bad husband was. And Mm. um, I've worked really, really hard in the midst of all this striving and all this other stuff. And I would go home and I was different. I mean, I I had stuff. I had breath around the edges, stuff Mm -hmm. I had to deal with. Don't. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to pretend I was perfect by any means, but I was very intentional. Intentional. Yeah, that's about the word. who I was as a husband, who I was as a dad, pouring into 
them. But it also, I realized, it became a testimony. I had Adam Boss one years ago, Bob Fisher, and he would say, uh, listen, Bruce, we're not saving lives here, right? So we were CPAs. We're not saving lives here. Take care of your family. All this will be here when you get back. Clients will be here. You know, all the work's going to be here. So yeah. see, see when you get back. Yeah. So uh, how long was it before you went and started your next company? Well, um, interesting. So I had three pretty successful, one really successful, two pretty successful exits. And I thought, and then, you know, I went through this life crushing, yeah. all this stuff, but I had to pick myself up and go start a company and it failed. Okay. And then I picked myself back up and started another company and it failed. Okay. And great. I was like, <laughs> what happened to me? And you know, part of that rules, like good rules, I'm a very systematic thinker. Mm -hmm. And I think like most of us, some of our greatest strengths could also be our greatest weaknesses. Sure. And so I'm very systematic in my thinking and I build systems in my companies. But then I started systematically looking at what am I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. And I just started mm -hmm. overthinking, overthinking, overthinking. Um, but I went down a path, I was doing some consulting and honestly, I wasn't very good at it mm -hmm. because I'm a builder Yep. and it was someone else's company and I couldn't, I didn't have control to go build what I wanted to build and I'd end up just frustrating them and they'd frustrate me and then I'd be out of a client and then I, I was going through this and, and then I went down and I started coaching and I wasn't very good at coaching either. I mean, I was a good yeah. encourager. Yeah. Encouragement's really important to me, but I didn't have a way of like, how do I take what's in me and, and impart it to them. And I didn't know how to do that. And then, you know, I, I got licenses as coaches and this and that, but I, I honestly, I just haven't been that good at it. That, but it's different being a coach where you may, I would say you have a less of a vested interest, right? In the success of your client than if it's, you're the CEO and you're building a team where everybody's kind of going the same direction and you all have vested interests in the success. Yeah. I think there's a, I think it's a little bit different. And you were yeah. successful building companies and bringing people along with you. Yeah. But from a one-to-one -one consulting, maybe not. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think one of the benefits of my rough childhood was that I'm very empathetic and I'm very aware of helping people be the best version of themselves. And that was just, I think it just kind of evolved and was very natural for me. So one of the things that hurt me with consulting, I believe, is um, I put a lot of emphasis on the people, on the team. Okay. And a lot of CEOs I worked with didn't, that didn't resonate with them. And I don't know if it's ego, it's, um, I always say like, you know, a lot of CEOs, the company's going to get as big as they can keep their hands mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because they need control. Yeah. And I don't know how I learned it, but I realized that if I want this thing to grow bigger, I can't be in control. But the best thing that I can do is empower my key people. Good to great had a big influence on me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And from the, uh, lots of things in good to great, but the main one was I realized, okay, my job is to decide who's on the bus. Right. And then my job is to help people get put into the right seats. And in by design, in about 
two-year mark, we were doing about four, four and a half million in revenue, growing, hiring new people every month. And I, and I, I didn't really love my job because I was being a traditional CEO. I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do as the yeah, CEO. Yeah, yeah. And I had a coach. I got, that was the first time I had a coach. And he put me through this um, tool called the Simmons Survey. And what I really loved about it is it, it told you your tendencies. What are activities that you tend towards? Mm-hmm. And what are activities you tend to avoid? And when I looked at that, what came to me was, well, I need to restructure my job. And okay. that's when I created the term sweet spot. Mm-hmm. I wanted to put myself in a role where 80% or more of my daily activities were energy gaining to me. They were, they were activities that I tended towards. I called them energy gainers. Sure. And 20% or less would be energy drainers. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at, I, I got in a, in a room with my coach and a whiteboard and I said, okay, what are all the things that the company needs to do? And then I wrote my job description. Like what are your, what are your energy gainers? Sales. Sales. Marketing. Okay. Um, coaching people on my team. Creativity. Yep. yep. Encouragement. Problem solving. And innovation. Innovation. Okay. Right. All right. Um, Drainers. Uh, P&Ls. Talking to lawyers, reading contracts, um, yeah, yeah. doing the same thing every day. Yeah. Okay. Right. Got it. And so I rewrote my job description and then I started and then I looked and said, well, these are all the other things the company needs. And I was, I looked at my team and I started putting them through the Simmons survey. And I said, we're going to take a look at your energy drainers and your energy gainers and all. So I started at the top and worked my way down. And I, I said, I want everybody in this company the best that we can to be in a job that's 80% or more energy gainers than energy drainers. And if they're in the wrong job, but they belong in our company, we're going to go find where they belong. That's good. And my thinking was, and it paid off, was if you have a lot of people who are full, like these vessels of our bodies, they're not meant to be empty, but many of us are. I would agree. And when we're empty, we look for the wrong things to fill us, Mm. right? Mm. Drink, hobby, porn, whatever. Sure. Right. We, we, we try to fill ourselves in some other way. And, and I, I just, I was like, if, if I can help, and this goes back kind of my purpose and I know we're going to talk about it, but I want people to be full. And as you said, we have to work. That's right. So work should be filling us instead of draining us because if people are full from work, then they go home and they're happy. Full things pour out. Empty things suck. That's great. Empty things suck in. And so... Okay, so when when were you doing this sweet spot kind of... Started in 2004, 2005. Okay, so this is after the publishing company. No, this is no. in the middle of the publishing okay, company. Okay, great. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that's then the company went from like four or five million to 18 million. So what happened, and um, I'm going to just shift a little bit here. You started two more companies that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And in that process, and we talked a little bit about this before we jumped on the podcast, uh, around the topic of uh, grit mm-hmm. versus quit. Yeah. And just 
kind of go through what was the grit versus quit conversation in your mind when you address the first one and it sounds like, you know, you could either grit through it and maybe spend a lot more money or you had to pull the plug. Mm-hmm. And then entering your next failed entrepreneurial opportunity, uh, endeavor, mm-hmm. which makes it even harder, right? You know, to kind of churn through that. Okay. Right. And then, and then you did it again. So those two, uh, experiences, just tell me what you were thinking, feeling through that grit versus quit, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, grit and quit was honestly a daily battle, sometimes a, a minute by minute, hour by hour battle for a while. Yeah. Um, looked for jobs, um, interviewed, had a few, had a couple of people tell me, you know, Brandon, I, I just want to be honest with you. Like, we're, we're not going to hire you yeah. because you're an entrepreneur. You'll be here 12 to 18 months and I you'll leave. It. Sure. And, and I did the whole, no, 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 I'm done with that. And, and I believed in my heart I was, like right. I wanted to be, like, hey, I just want yeah. to calm my life down. I don't want to be a starter anymore. I don't, you know, but I couldn't get hired. So then, you know, the gritter quit was I had no option. Like, I, I can't get hired in a job. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, I could go work at Costco or something, but that's not going to be fulfilling. It's not going to cover the bills. Yeah. So um, figure it out. Yeah. Uh, listen, nobody wants to hire a CEO into a, a line job, right? So if they see that on your resume, look. No, why not? <laughs> We're good. Yeah, you're good at being a CEO of yourself and your own company, but mm-hmm. I need you to um, follow direction whether you like it or not. Uh, that's yeah. totally fair. It I is. Know, yeah. It is. It is. Absolutely. So, um, okay. So let's let's move into your kind of your most recent. Now we're at fist bump. Yeah. How, what was the... Tell me the, the, the story of how that started. So, um, you know, Funnel Amplified is a social amplification tool. Yep. Um, really cool, simple. Uh, one person creates a social post and they provide it for everybody on the team. Uh, it doesn't publish for them. So we had a mobile app and they get a notification that says, you know, hey, Larry from your team created the social post and it was green button, you could publish it, blue mm-hmm. button, you edit it, and red button, you reject it. Okay. And we sold it to marketers. That's great. Um, the challenge with it though was that the marketer would write it and then like salespeople or other people would get it and they go, oh, I don't like that. And they'd reject it. Or they would just go, oh yeah, fine, publish, publish, publish. And then everybody had the exact same post. And mm. my, my intention of it was the marketer would get it started. It comes to you and you hit the blue button and you edit it and put it in your own words. That way you have your own unique post. But it didn't, it didn't mm. happen a lot. Yeah. And so um, I wanted to help. And so we started... I started, and this is why I discovered that, hey, LinkedIn's more than just a resume place. It's it's truly a social network, and at the epitome of it, it's networking. And so I started learning it, and then I started coaching it. And work, working with salespeople to say, this is how we use LinkedIn to build a personal brand, to network in order to sell, but not just straight social selling. That's a whole other conversation. Sure. Um, so fist bump came about because what I, what I realized is the 
tools or the, the tactics and the activities that salespeople needed to do, it wasn't just post content. You get so much more personal brand building when you comment. Because if I, if I post something and I get whatever, I get 300 views and two comments, well, maybe 300 people saw it, but a view is like they scrolled past it. So, right. and you right. got two comments, like nobody really saw what you shared and looking at sales, um, sales is more about listening than talking. And a post is talking commenting for me is the digital form of active listening listening yeah and so we were doing a lot i was teaching people how to comment how do you comment and you're sharing your expertise you can share your know how and comment 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 more people see it da 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 but there were no tools out there to help sales people sure. comment sure and not with a strategy and so i was like well what do i need to do and i built spreadsheets and I would put in columns of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I'd put in people's link to their LinkedIn profile on the days. And then on Monday, I would go and comment on all those people. And on wow. Tuesday, and, wow. and then I would write notes like, what did I comment? And how many times did I comment? When should I send them a message? And But I had this big, massive spreadsheet. And I went to Daniel, my partner, who's a great developer, and I said, we need to build a tool. And so that's where fist bump happened. And fist bump is, I love the fist bump emoji. Yeah, yeah. And You uh, hit me with that today, by the way. I, you know what? I do it all the time. And that's where it happened. Like, we were going through this branding exercise. Like, okay, what are we going to name this company? And Daniel actually goes, why are we doing this? Like, yeah. why don't we just call it fist bump? Because... So it, did you get the domain fist bump? Come on. We did not. Oh, don't, don't tell anybody. So a squatter owns it okay and they wanted five grand for it and we're like eh, yeah, let's let's, let's see how it's going time. yeah so yeah. we have getfistbumps.com okay all right yeah and uh we we also have some ai so that's where fist bump started but it quickly evolved so fist bump is designed it's workflows yeah so you could say i've got these people, you go their LinkedIn profile and you say put them into this list or workflow yep and that workflow's got a schedule you're going to get a task to comment on their activity yeah. twice a month. Yeah. And so every day you log into LinkedIn, you hit your fist bump button. It says, hey, you've got 18 tasks to do today. You go start and it takes you to the first person's most recent post activity. And it says the task you're supposed to do. You comment today or you send them a message today or whatever the right task is. And when you do it, fist bump captures what you did. So if you commented, it'll capture the comment it captures the link that it's on puts it into fist bump and then you go to the next task and then fist bump pushes it into crm mm -hmm. so you can document and show your boss yeah i'm doing outreach mm -hmm. it's just not a call it's not an email it's a social comment that's awesome so um um that i, I would say that i'm in sales no one that i know in my industry that I see on LinkedIn is doing anything like that. Right. I would say, you know, maybe 5% are kind of doing it organically. If it pops up on there, they happen to be looking at LinkedIn at the time. Well, or what, if they're not doing that, they're just, um, what, what, what do you call that? Um, pitch slapping. Pitch slapping. That's uh -huh. right. They're, they're, they're talking, not listening. Right. So they're sending cold messages to people in LinkedIn. Like it's an email. That's right. That's right. In, 
commenting is that digital form of active listening. Yeah, I love I love that concept. All right, shifting gears a little bit, I want to talk about. Um, there is a theme through your uh, through your career that I want to try to quantify, and and I want and I think it's around the concept around passion and purpose, mm-hmm. and but I haven't put a label on it yet and i want to okay because <laughs> i i want to i want to understand what it is that kind of drove you through what's that thread that drove you through all of those endeavors i can tell and you i want to hear it so when i was a kid um my dad was a small business owner and again without going into detail because i i want to as tough as my childhood was my dad's childhood was worse. So Fair enough. I have a lot of grace for him in the midst of a lot of frustration with him as well, yeah. with the way I was raised. And I would say that's a common story. Right. Varying degrees for many, many people. Yeah. So when I was a kid from as long as I could remember and all hell would break loose in the house and chaos, um, a lot of times I'd hide under my bed. And I had this thought as a kid, and it was very Pollyanna, mm-hmm. but I used to think if I could help him like make a little bit more money and take some of that stress off his plate, yeah, maybe he wouldn't be so angry. Okay. And in the first company, Healthy Pet, one night, it's like 7.30 at night in California, the phone rings. Back when we had phones, it had a cord in the wall and all that, right? <laughs> I answer it. And a client of ours, he said, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad you asked, answered the phone. It was 1030 at night for him in New York. He was in upstate New York. And I helped him with what he needed help with. And he said something along the lines of, hey, I want you guys to know I'm really grateful for what you do. And he said something, what I heard and what he said were probably different, but he said something along the lines of, you know, you're, you're taking a lot of work off my plate and you're making my revenue be more consistent. And even my wife commented the other day that I'm calmer at wow. home. Yeah. And it was this ding, 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 ding. Like, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, that's what I thought about when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah. And it was around that time I made my personal mission statement was that I am going to build companies in order to grow people internally to help customers take stress off their plate and help them make more money with the hope that they can go home and be a better spouse, a better parent. And my goal was to remove chaos from families' lives. And I know that's very Pollyanna, but that's driven me now for 20-some years. That is, that is profound, I would say, Brandon. I'm not sure I've got a comment to that. Is... is that's your, has that been your purpose through pretty much your whole career? Yes. Your driving Even purpose. when I didn't know it, it was. But that phone call with that guy was that ding, ding, ding. And it was like, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. So um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like that purpose fueled your passion. Yes. Because sometimes I see passion come first. And, and there's no right answer to this, but... You 
and it may be may have been a little cloudy when you were younger, right? Mm-hmm. But um, but over the years, it probably it was confirmed when you saw the results of your work. You heard stories of, mm-hmm. hey, you know, my family's doing great, or I, I've really got the bandwidth to do things with my family, and the stress level is low. I mean, there's 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 so many benefits to that, yeah. and and even. Where I saw it is internally in my company with team members, when we did this energy gaining, energy draining exercise and wanted, you know, did, hey, our bodies aren't meant to be empty. We're meant to be full, these vessels of ours. And so I started moving people into different jobs based on their energy gainers and energy gainers that I had my team members coming to me going, thank you. Yeah. Because yeah. I want them to go home full. And what happened, it was selfish too, because what I what I knew was if I had a a bunch of people that are full, that's attractive. And I don't yeah. mean physical attractive, but people who are full are attractive. They attract. And I wanted a group of people in my company who were attractive, who would attract people because they were full, they were happy. And people that are full and happy, and I, and I just had this conversation this morning with, with Noor, who works for us at Fist Bump, and I was working with her on, on stuff, and she said, you know, I am so happy. She's been with us about a month. She goes, I get up early and start working, and I've never done this before. Like, I love That's what great. I'm doing. That's great. And that makes me happy. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, she's getting a paycheck from us, but she's getting fulfillment. She's full. Yeah. She said, my husband noticed. And that's what life should be about. We should all have jobs that help us be better versions of ourselves for our family and bring home the paycheck. That's, 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 that's awesome. So looking back over your career and not knowing, look, I, I know enough now uh, to, I would say your career has been a, a raving success, right? You know, some highs and lows, uh, but, you know, the perseverance all the way through the lows and handling the highs and turning them outward and not just turning them inward for mm-hmm. your own personal selfish benefit, right? So would you, um, I, want, I want to ask, what would you attribute that to? Is there... Um, course the the passion and purpose around what you're committed to but would you say that was a result of your experience or do you feel like maybe there was a calling do you feel like you had a calling i mean is yeah so um or did that calling come after experience or you know it's a it's a tough question but yeah people ask about calling all the time right and we're looking for a framework to understand calling any input on that yeah so i i believe and i've been i've been working on this curriculum that that we i call rowboat okay um and the reason i call it rowboat is when you row a boat you look backwards (laughs) to go straight yeah we got to look back and see what has God allowed us to go through. Yeah. And then what do we learn and take from those experiences to go 
in a straight path forward? What did we gain that we can give away? What did we gain that we can share and help enlighten other people? And so I, you know, my, my, I believe that I was created to be entrepreneurial. Okay. I believe my purpose and the refinement of that entrepreneurship came from my experiences, what I learned by looking back on my experiences. Yeah. That makes sense? It does. It does. Um, it may be too early to ask, but do you, um, do you see another chapter that might be significantly different than the past? I do. I think um, I've matured. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I believe that the service that we offer at Fist Bump is timely. Mm-hmm. It's really good. It's very much aligned with my personal mission. My hope is that we grow something pretty big mm-hmm. and it's not for the sake of growing something big. Don't get me wrong. I like the financial benefits. Sure. I love providing for my family. That's very important to me. But right alongside that is, um, I think I've learned a lot. I think that I, I don't, I'm always hesitant to say this cause I don't want to sound arrogant. That's not my intent. I've learned a lot. I've got a lot of I've got yeah. a lot of wounds. Yeah. I got a lot of scars. But I know that I build good culture. Like my conversation with Nor today, man, I was I was high as a kite afterwards. Yeah. Like yeah. see, I this bet. is and we there's five people on our team right now. We're not yes. big. But listening to her say, I love my job. Thank you so much. This is what my husband said about me. I'm getting up early because I love what I'm doing. It benefits the company, but I know it benefits all of the areas of her life. Yeah, sure. And so if, you know, God willing, I have a chance to grow a company, 200, 300, 500, 1,000 employees, they're all going to experience that because that's that's my passion. Yeah. So that's my hope. My hope would be that we could take Fist Bump or another company or... You know, I get hired into a CEO of a different company or something like that. But that's that's what I want to bring to the world. And I don't think there's enough of that. And, and I think the, the lens that I have is when you treat people like that, more money comes. Yeah. And so many see they're focused on the bottom line, the bottom line, but they do it by suppressing people. Well, that's a lagging indicator, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're focused completely on the leading indicator, which is taking care of people and taking care of uh, their fulfillment. And when people are full, yeah, they'll take care of your bottom line. They absolutely will. All right. Last question, almost, unless something else comes up. Uh, would you say that uh, you're consuming your career or your career is consuming you? You can in- interpret that any way you want. Mm-hmm. I-, I think both at times I'm still learning I still let the stress consume me at times sure and I'm getting I get better at it but um, you know I have 
I have an incredible wife. Yeah. And I have very healthy, loving kids. And I'm working on just being more grateful for the things that really matter. Yeah. And that helps me. But there are still days where the entrepreneur in me wants things faster and bigger and better. And how do I say this better? And, oh, I got to yeah. figure out. And, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah, you know, just things like, and everyone goes to this, oh, my social post, I thought it was going to be really good, and it tanked. <laughs> it tanked, and no one cared. Like, it okay, lasted how about I, 20 seconds. Yeah, how do, how do I do that better? Like, how do I influence more people? And so I do have my moments where it'll yeah. consume me, but when I when I kind of get my brain back on, and I kind of go, it's okay. Yeah. All right. I'm working hard at it. All right. So how can people find you? Like, uh, what... The, uh, if, if people wanted to reach out to you or how can they learn more about fist bump and, um, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn. Okay. I mean, that's, I, I, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. It's Brandon, uh, Brandon Lee. Lee digital. Okay. How do you spell yep. Brandon? B R A N D O N. Okay. Brandon L-E-E. Lee. Yep. Um, of course, get fistbumps.com is our, is our website. Get and, fistbumps. Yep. Dot com. Okay, and then good. funnelamplified.com you can find me there too. Great. Um, uh, those are the easiest ways. That's fantastic. All yeah. right. Well, great. Brandon, this has been a real treat, I'm telling you. Thank I hope you for... I served you well. That's, that's, <laughs> I hope, I mean, I was sitting there talking, going, man, is this really what's going to you, serve your audience you well? You have served, not only have you served me well with some fantastic bourbon, uh, but you have served of the audience, I believe, extremely well. So, uh, again, beautiful night. You know, it got a little chilly now. It did. It did. Yeah. Someone needs it. We need some help with this fire. I know. We needed somebody to like <laughs> keep stroking the fire there. That's right. So yeah. thank you again, Brandon. My absolute pleasure. And we'll pleasure. talk again soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on Consuming Careers. If you've enjoyed the show, please click the follow button in your podcast app so you won't miss any of our future episodes. And if you have a minute, write us a review. We truly appreciate hearing from our listeners. And as always... I'm Bruce Smith, and you've been listening to Consuming Careers. So I started looking for jobs, and I couldn't get hired. Mm -hmm. And so um, if, if, if that comes on the sound, it's, it's a... That is one freaked out dog. Gosh. There are sirens going on, but I have never heard that that before. Gosh. Okay. Hey, so those are some yeah. of the benefits. Of well, you said having... you said grit or quit, man. That dog's got some grit. Yeah. Whew. Wow. Okay. Make well, sure we lock the doors. You yeah. Know. Hopefully that. Whew. Hopefully your sound's not too bad for everybody. But.